Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. Uh, This week we are looking at Acts 21 verses 37 to Acts 22 verse 29 Um, and we are at the point where Paul has just been arrested in the temple in Jerusalem uh, in the process of finishing off this period of purification that we looked at last week. So ladies uh, what struck you about this section that we're looking at today? What were your big takeaways? I guess the first thing that struck me was how Paul's just been beaten up pretty badly. He's just been dragged out of the mob by the Roman authorities that are um, arresting him. And rather than just breathing deeply and thinking, oh, phew, I can just recover slightly. Immediately he asks if he can speak to the crowd again. And I just found that so um, amazing that, even though he's beaten and still really vulnerable, he's so single-minded and focused. And at this, the first opportunity he's got, he's straight there saying, excuse me, please, can I say something? So I was super challenged by that single-minded focus of he's on God's mission and whatever state he's in, he's just constantly looking for opportunities and keen to take them. Mm, yeah, he really... he. He's really loving, isn't he? Like radically loving in that, isn't he? Because it's not like he just wants to prove anything to the crowd. Like it's not like he he wants to get up and say, no, no, you're wrong, I'm right. Like he wants to share with them his, his story, doesn't he? His testimony, um, because he loves them. And he's like, I'm just like you, I, I get you. Yeah, I just think that's radical love, isn't it? I think if a mob were trying to kill me, I would want to get out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> Yeah, I just felt like this was, you know, he's so polite, isn't he? He speaks to like his captors, basically the Tribune in Greek. I mean, he's got it together enough to speak Greek. And then he turns to the crowd and speaks to them in heat, well, Aramaic, probably. I just thought it was such a picture of, yeah, his single mindedness. But I think these days when we think about people being single minded, we think about them being really almost obnoxious with it. Whereas I think Paul is a huge example to us of single-mindedness for the gospel, looking for opportunities at all time, but always doing it in love. And I think the fact that he then goes into Aramaic and speaks to them in almost their heart language or the language of the street, again, is that gentle, he's trying to engage with them, isn't he, on a level that they can really engage with. And he, I don't think I had, I don't know if he goes into as much detail earlier in Acts, it goes in as much detail as what he was doing, like he persecuted the followers of of the way, so Christians, to their death, uh, throwing people into prison, um, you know, getting letters, um, you know, like he, uh, where does it say that he stood, he stood and held the clothes of those people who were stoning Stephen. Mm. And then there's this contrast, isn't there, with this light that he sees um, on the way to Damascus, this bright light. And then he hears Jesus, doesn't he? And I've just been reading Luke in my quiet times where Jesus is transformed 
on the mountain. And, uh, and he, again, he's this bright light. In the NIV, it calls him, he's, he's as bright as lightning. Like you can imagine how bright that is. And I think I just, the contrast between from where Paul has come to where he, uh, to, to what changes him, like this, this Jesus in his life has just completely turned his life around. I mean, he wants to tell them about it. And I think that's uh, a lesson for me. I think often um, I want to focus on how I am now, but I think sometimes it's good to tell your story, isn't it? This is from where I've come, but look at what Jesus has done, like focusing on Jesus and then seeing the change. I think it's helpful to people uh, when you tell your story. Yeah, the other thing, I agree, Mary, but the other thing that really struck me was the continuity of his story. You know, he was really zealous, wasn't he, as a character? And so he was zealous in persecution against the church. And then God did an amazing thing and totally changed his zealous, changed the focus of his zealotry. I don't even know if that's a word. But so that that same character trait that God had designed him with was then turned towards the gospel and the good of spreading that um, message that he was so passionately trying to kill. And so yeah, I often I often think that about um, our children, like when they're being particularly like passionate about something or arguing or something. I'm always like praying that that passion will turn into a passion for Jesus one day, because, you know, yeah, you're right. Sometimes a kind of very passionate personality. God then uses that to, to spread his kingdom. And I guess the other thing that he talks about in this um, story, isn't it? Telling his story is the continuity between the um the Jew you know all his credentials as the best Jew that there was around and I was a very learned Jew and I'm still following that same God now you know I that really helped me to see his logic of I've not changed Jesus has entered and helped me understand what I thought I understood before through a new lens but it's the same God and it's the same salvation but Jesus has completely changed my perspective. But I think he's, again, he's aware of the crowd, isn't he? And he's really appealing to the Jewish mindset and saying, this is the fulfillment of all that we love and believe from the Old Testament. I just think he's really smart. You know, in the last um, chapter, we talked about how um, basically his he was being accused of being against the people the law and the temple but in this section in his testimony he's saying look I am not against you because I am one of you and see you know I have this divine uh I had this divine intervention I've got this divine credential I am my witnesses are Jews that you really respect you know, I'm not, I'm not against the temple. I'm just following in the footsteps of others that have been commissioned by God. You know, he's, he's really smart at saying, look at what you're doing. But I think the, the really key thing, I think, and something that really challenged me was that in his testimony, it's not actually about him. It's actually look at what God has done, look at what God is doing, look at what God has said in the scriptures and how God has fulfilled it. And I thought, how often when I give my testimony, do I use the word I and how often do I use the word God? Yeah. And in a way that 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 is a defense of him, isn't it? Because he's saying God's intervened in my life here in dramatic ways to change my course. And I've not chosen that. God's that's God's work. And God's done that supernaturally. So what do you think about Paul's um, defense 
in the light of um, the persecution and in light of the fact that Jesus says to turn the other cheek. I don't think he's primarily defending himself. I think he's looking at a massive crowd of people that don't know Jesus and is motivated by that heart of I, God's revealed the truth to me and the most loving and gracious and the best thing I can do is to share that with them. So I think the, there's a way that he's, he's, I think the defense is a secondary thing. I don't think that's his primary motive, but I think in telling the story so clearly, there is a defense in there, isn't there? But I think his motive is to hold up Jesus high to the crowd. Yeah. What opportunities do we have to share our testimony that we often don't take? I guess the challenge in Paul here is he takes, he makes opportunities, doesn't he? So I don't think I'd think I'm on trial. I'm about to, um, I've just been arrested. Oh, this is the time to share my testimony. But he's thinking all, that's, that's the primary thought in his mind all the time. And so I guess every opportunity, every relationship we're in, every time we're in a conversation with somebody, we've got an opportunity to say something salty, haven't we? Or something about our faith or how we think differently or how we view the world. But we're not very, I'm not very good at that. Yeah, I think it's about... I think we have to realize, don't we, that when we're talking about testimony, it's not necessarily you have to give your whole story or it's not necessarily you have to give the whole gospel at once. Testimony is just testifying in regards to Jesus in some way. Um, And I I think at the minute living in a really negative, we're all living in quite a negative headspace, aren't we? I think a great opportunity at the minute is just to be talking about what we're grateful to God for in the middle of a lockdown. So I think that's a good way to share some testimony, isn't it? At the minute, just a gratefulness and um, being prepared to share what we're grateful for challenges the, the, the narrative at the minute of everything's negative, life's so hard. So I think that could be a good way currently for us to yeah. share testimony. That's in a small way, isn't it? Yeah, and I I think because um, I'm working in a very, very non-Christian environment at the moment, it's just taking opportunities like I have given up sweet things for Lent because uh, I was on a slippery slope. And somebody the other day said, oh, why are you doing that to yourself? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they just moved on and started chatting. And that was my moment to say, well, actually, I'm not doing it because... I want to make my body healthier. I'm doing it because instead of craving sweet things, I should be, I want better communication and communion with Jesus. And so it prompts me to pray. You know, that was my opportunity, wasn't it? Just to say, well, I'm a Christian and um, it just prompts me to pray. And then I rely more on Jesus and less on myself. Yeah, I, I one thing I found helpful, and I don't do this reliably, but that in a morning when I'm praying through my day, just if I'm aware that I'm going to be seeing friends that day that aren't Christians, just praying for opportunities and then just spending some time thinking about where the conversation might go and ways that I can testify to mm. why my life's different or what Jesus is doing or what I'm thinking about or the way that God's at work. Um, And I think if I've thought about that before I meet somebody, I'm more likely to let the conversation go in that direction. Yeah. 
And I think part of it is a fear, isn't it? A fear of where that conversation might go. Because how does the crowd react to Paul's testimony here? Like, what what is it that he says that upsets the crowd so, so much? Yeah, they listen, don't they, for a long time? Because they're at yeah. the beginning, they're really rowdy, shouting and screaming. And it looks like just with a hand gesture in that first few verses, he manages to silence them. I'd love to do that at mealtimes around my table <laughs> with eight children currently. Um, and then they're with him and they listen and they're quiet. And then, yeah, it, right in verse 21, when he says that God ordained him to go out to the Gentiles, that's the point at which they lose it, isn't it? And I guess he's speaking to a primarily Jewish crowd. And as we've seen again and again and again, it's so hard for them to get their heads around the fact that um, the Messiah has come for the Gentiles too. And so that's when they kick off, should we say. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible says at that word, like they're happy with everything until the word Gentiles. For those who are listening, Mary has been having issues with her internet connection, but she is now back. So Mary, we're in the middle of talking about uh, how the crowd reacts to uh, Paul's testimony and how what we can learn from that for various reactions to when we give not only our testimony story, but also just a small snippet of the gospel or, you know, our life as a Christian. I, th I think the thing that I learned from this was that actually giving your testimony doesn't always work. <laughs> you know, especially at the moment, I think people will listen to your story and then you'll say one thing and they'll reject the whole message. Um, and yeah, I found it really encouraging but also really sad that that's still the situation today isn't it the gospel's offensive isn't it like we um yeah we should expect people to be offended whether that's someone you know a friend who we're trying to reach or whether it's someone in in the country that we're in who's from a completely different religion yeah the other thing that struck me though here is he's really paul tells his story but he's very clear that this is the truth, isn't it? And so I think that's another barrier today, especially in Manchester. Truth isn't held up as a universally acknowledged thing anymore in the way that it was here. And so Paul's telling them the truth and very confident in the truth. Whereas I think the problem here with testimony is people very often say to me, that's nice for you. And that, that's your truth. But I think that's another challenge for us today, isn't it? In the, well, maybe different for you, Mary, where you are, but here, truth's so uh, individual. Mm, yeah, like that's your truth. And my truth is this. Yeah. Um, I'm keen quickly, since you're both here, to talk about um, this sort of, Paul in his testimony relates uh, the story in relation to God's call on his life. So um, we've talked about callings a little bit, but do you guys have anything you'd like to add about um, what your calling from God is or was and how it was revealed to you? I'm not super, super keen on the word calling um, because I think it can be unhelpful in some cases. I think um, 
I think there's two ends of the scale, isn't there? There's like there's there's people who sit uh, sit and will not do anything without hearing a special calling, um, and then there's um, somebody who will just never you know never listen, uh, try and listen to God for their like what he's leading is in their life and just do whatever I think there's kind of this big scale isn't there and I think we can kind of over spiritualize it um, and we can under spiritualize it and there's somewhere in the middle I think which is which is a right place to be where we where we do things that we feel like God is leading us to do and we push doors um, but also uh, we don't kind of aren't kind of uh, what's the word cramped by this desire to just wait and hear exactly what God has laid out for our lives I think there's there's definitely somewhere in the middle there that's healthy I don't know what you think Jill yeah it's really hard isn't it and I think the vast majority of the time God leads us through our circumstances doesn't he and I guess a little bit like we talked about last week through wisdom and reading the bible and um like yeah I'm sure we'd all love to have the supernatural um arrow in the sky all the time but I think that's that's very rare in our lives, isn't it? Yeah, like um, often when I visit, when I meet people or, you know, we visit churches, I often get asked, how did you, um, in what way did you feel called to work abroad with the church? Um, and the answer is I didn't. <laughs> the answer is I really, I really didn't. I didn't have like a road to, to Damascus moment. I didn't have God painting things in the sky like he he very gently and lovingly pushed us in that direction but it was much more I felt like um a prompting to push various doors not only in in working abroad with the uh with the church with a an organization yeah it wasn't like a lightning bolt I didn't hear a voice I didn't have a dream I didn't um like I didn't have one particular verse that kept going to that was like, go and serve God in another country. It was just, I pushed a series of doors and the door didn't close. So I just followed them. Um, I think sometimes, mm. like Mary said, the danger is that you can become so paralyzed by waiting for quote, a call that you never do anything. Yeah, some people get that really clear call to missions, don't they? Or really clear call to uh, begin this ministry or marry this person. Um, that definitely that definitely happens, doesn't it? God speaks through dreams, um, through other people, uh, through prophecy, things like that. Um, for me, it was definitely a lot more, uh, a lot less obvious than that. Um, but again, really clear. Um, I, um, since my, since I became a Christian, I kind of felt this huge desire to go overseas. Like I felt like this desire wasn't from me. Um, and as I explored it, um, uh, and went to other people and talked to them about it, went to the Bible, um, I kind of became more sure that it, it was, uh, that God was leading me into missions. Um, but then again, there were kind of supernatural things that I felt were really clearly from God. I remember once I was singing um, in church and this, this um, uh, I think we were singing, I can't remember the song, Blessed Blessed be your name, I think. Anyway, and there's this bit where it sounds says, um, when I'm found in the desert place, and boom, I had this such strong feeling. I think it was God saying to me, you are going to live in a desert. Um, and I was like, just so sure about that. And I was so struck by that. And actually, the country that I've ended up in, um, it's come true. So um, 
yeah, like I think it's a real it's a real mixture, isn't it, from life to life. And I think um, there's a huge spectrum of um, how people end up doing what they're doing. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, my testimony of of, of how God uh, how I ended up on on the mission field. I guess we we look back on our lives, don't we? Probably at the end and see the way that there was purpose in everything and that God was directing us in ways that we don't see or understand um, for his good purposes. And I think that little example we talked about earlier about Paul having learnt Aramaic as a boy, you know, probably when his mum was saying, have you done your Aramaic practice today, Paul? He wasn't, he had no idea that that language would then be used by God in this way really helpfully but actually, as he looks back over his life, he sees that God's at work in his, through his circumstances, preparing him for the work that he'll be doing in the future. And I find that really helpful thinking we don't fully know what that is, but we can have that deep confidence, can't we, that God's at work preparing us for whatever it is. Yeah. And, and Paul being a Pharisee prepared him for his mm. future because he was totally au fait with the whole of the scriptures. He knew it inside out. He knew how to keep it inside out. He was incredibly zealous for it. And because of that, he was able to say with confidence, this is how Jesus fulfills this. He is not overturning it because the accusation in this passage here is that he's trying to overturn what the scriptures say, but he knows them so well and demonstrate how he knows them so well that he's able to say, but this is a fulfillment, not a destruction of and he wouldn't have been able to do that if he hadn't been a pharisee it's interesting isn't it that in the bible the word calling is actually usually in um in relation to our calling to become christians our, our calling to follow jesus um like the language of this this calling kind of isn't I don't think isn't such a kind of obvious thing as it is nowadays. Like often people ask what your calling is or what you're called to, but it obviously is a thing because you see very clearly people in the Bible being called. Um, but yeah, like, like you were saying, I, I think um, we should be asking God and watching and listening to what he's doing in our lives, but and not be kind of deaf to, you know, if he's just quietly, asking us to do something um but also not just sit around waiting for that there's there's definitely like a, a somewhere in the middle of the kind of over spiritualizing and under spiritualizing which i which i think um yeah could be encouraged let's round this off by looking at this last uh, little section uh after from 22 to the end of the section that we're looking at uh where they raise their voices after they hear the word gentiles what um, what do you think about this bit? Why did Paul delay saying that he was a Roman citizen? Uh, how does he defend himself? It reminded me a little bit of Philippi, where he's been beaten again. He's been in the jail overnight. And then when they try and quietly get rid of him, he plays the, hey, guys, I'm a Roman citizen card. Um, and so, yeah, it's very similar to that, isn't it, that he's prepared to suffer significantly but I think he's making a judgment call about the wisest and right time to reveal the fact that um a flogging's not okay um I did a bit of reading around the fact that yeah basically if you're a Roman citizen then 
torture without trial is not allowed. So I guess the dynamics just change massively, don't they, after he reveals that and suddenly the Roman authorities are very eager to do the right thing. I think the thing that um, struck me was um, when it says they raise their voices and say, away with such a fellow from the earth. You know, we talked last time about how there were so many mirrors with Jesus. Um, and that's what the crowd said to Jesus, wasn't it? Um, away with him. You know, do you want Barabbas? Do you want Jesus? No, we want Barabbas. What shall I do with Jesus? Away with him. Uh, it's that mirroring of Jesus's um, story. And so you sort of naturally think that that's the way it's going to go. And then Paul says, oh, but I'm a Roman citizen. I found it interesting that I think it's that turning the other cheek or standing up for your rights thing. Sometimes it is okay to stand up for your rights. I think the general consensus with Christianity as a whole is that we're supposed to be meek and gentle and just take all the hits. Whereas I think Paul shows us that sometimes, yeah, it is appropriate to take the hits and not um, not hit back. But other times it is okay to assert your rights. It's, it's okay to um, say this is, this is wrong and to offer a defense. I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? Between when our hearts are frustrated or annoyed, or we feel like we're being persecuted in some way, ensuring that our defense, our, our um, stand against what's going on, where, where, are, where are our hearts in that? Is it about personal retribution? Is it about us or is it ultimately, how is God going to be served best in this moment and in this moment Paul thought actually I think the gospel is going to be served best by me asserting my rights and being moved on to another place I've got to I've, this isn't the end for me this isn't the end for the gospel story and me. I think also Luke here is drawing us a really clear contrast again between the Jewish mob and the um, mockery I think also Luke here is drawing us a really clear contrast again between the Jewish mob and the um, mockery almost of the religious system at the time, that there's no control, there's no law and order, it's mob rule compared with Rome. And in God's providence at this point, Rome is ruling this part of the world. And rightly or wrongly, there is a clear rule of law in Rome that Paul can appeal to. You know, if he was in a religious sitting at, setting at this point, there'd be nothing for him to appeal to, would there? But because in God's providence, Rome has clear laws that he can appeal to, that's the, a means of God's protection of him right here. Yeah, it's just another um, great section about God's providence. Like we said a minute ago, you know, Paul was a Pharisee and you could have thought couldn't you how on earth is he uh, going to become a Christian but he did and he did it in a way that he was then able to use to testify to his own very very resistant people he was born where he was born and he was able to use that to share the gospel more to get himself out of tricky situations and share uh, about Jesus with more people than he would have been had he been born somewhere obscure. Praise God. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>